Welcome to the official podcast where the bombs get thrown. I'm your host, May Shayla Bogan, and I introduce to you the Mike Bomb Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to the Mike Bomb Podcast with your host, May Shayla, kicking it at you on this beautiful Thursday. I am joined off the top of the hour by Josh Carney from Steelers Depot. Josh, introduce yourself. Yeah, so uh, Josh Carney, Steelers Depot, or competitive there. I've been with Steelers Depot for about seven years. Uh, Just a a Steelers fan, grew up around the city of Pittsburgh, and uh, been been doing it, like I said, seven years, so... Um, we, we do all things Steelers news there, Steelers Depot, from film rooms to actual news to, to interesting articles throughout the offseason. So uh, excited to be on here. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thank you for joining. Um, so we're about to get started because obviously this past January, an era that was like no others in Pittsburgh, def- you know, arguably, Ben Roethlisberger has officially came to an end when he announced his retirement in January from football. So as the Steelers are now officially in the life after Ben stage, how does Mike Tomlin get quarterbacks, both Kenny Pickett or Mitchell Trubisky prepared for what would be called being Ben's successor? So I think the big challenge is going to be in training camp, getting enough reps for a guy like Kenny Pickett. Uh, you know, that, you know, off-season training activities and mandatory mini camps, uh, here on the south side. Pickett was quarterback three behind Trubisky, who got first-team reps, and Mason Rudolph, who was getting the second-team reps. Uh, I think right mm-hmm. now the plan is for one of Trubisky or Rudolph, as much as that pains people to hear, uh, one of those two will be the starting quarterback week one on September 11th in Cincinnati. There's just not enough reps to go around to get a, a kid like Pickett, though he is 24 and was NFL-ready coming out of Pittsburgh ready for pass time as a starting quarterback right away in week one. Uh, so I think the focus is certainly going to be on getting Mitch Trubisky as prepared as possible in terms of learning the playbook and really just being comfortable, uh, or, or Mason Rudolph at this point. Uh, that's not to say that this is going to be a lost year for Kenny Pickett. I think there's going to certainly be a lot of development behind the scenes uh, once the season starts in terms of 
his work with the practice team, um, you know, the scout team for opponents each week. But uh, I think everyone's kind of getting lost in the thought of, okay, the picket era's got to start right now. Yeah. The Steelers are going to bring him along slowly, just like they did Roethlisberger back in 2004. People forget Ben Roethlisberger was their number six quarterback heading into that year uh, behind Tommy Maddox and Charlie Batch, and the only reason he got into the lineup was due to injuries. Uh, so I think they're going to bring Pickett along very slowly, but they're going to put all their resources into getting Mitch Trubisky and Mason Rudolph as ready as possible. Yeah, which honestly gives me a good vibe about Kenny Pickett because the first words about him was, well, that he stated was he wants to win a Super Bowl for the Steelers. You know, he just don't want to be one of these names that just come here and just to say that they play here. He wants the championship. Obviously, he wants to be the starter. And then as for Mitchell Trubisky, you could say with a great system like Pittsburgh's, who's known for developing players, making nobodies out of some, you know, making somebody's out of nobodies. How would you prepare for week one against the Bengals if you're Mitchell Trubisky, who obviously will have a great have his hands full with the Bengals defense, along with finding ways to outplay Joe Barrow? I, I, I think you can't go into it looking at I gotta outplay Joe Burrow. Uh, he, he's just gotta be Mitch Trubisky. He's gotta play to his strengths, uh, which is is moving in the pocket, throwing on the run. Uh, you know, just just being that athletic, mobile quarterback. I think he's gotta come into training camp here in a few weeks uh, in Latrobe with that belief that he is the number one quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think that's been his. His mindset since he signed here, I was not surprised the selection of Kenny Pickett. But he can't go into any any week thinking I have to outplay, you know, X, Y, or Z on the opponent. He's just got to play to his strengths, and I think that's what Matt Canada's system will do. And will will utilize his ability to throw on the run, to extend plays, to use his legs as a running threat. And he's just got to he's got to be confident. I think that's the biggest thing with him. Is he he had so many offensive coordinators in Chicago that I really think it it, it sapped his confidence overall. Uh, but a lot of people forget Trubisky went to the playoffs twice with the Bears, had a had a winning record uh, in in 50 career starts, 29 and 21. So he's just got to come in confident and, and and play to his strengths and not worry about trying to do too much. Because there's a ton of talent around him on this offense. Yeah. With, you know, Mitchell Trubisky, Mason Rudolph, and Kenny Pickett, of course, a lot of people ruled that this year with the upgrade on the O-line, receiving cores, and enough weapons for their quarterbacks to use, whoever the starter will be, you know, a lot of people will say that there's no excuse for Matt Canada this year now that he can be as flexible as possible with this offense. Would you agree with that or disagree with that? Yeah, I, I think there is no excuse this year uh, for Matt Canada. Obviously, last year in the final year of Ben Roethlisberger, it's no secret that that offense scheme was significantly handicapped by Roethlisberger's skill set and by what Matt Canada wanted to do offensively. It just it didn't mesh. It was a you know kind of a one year marriage that, that yeah. was not going to work. Definitely, uh, I think we saw that. But now this year. The Steelers went out and got a quarterback with the skill set of Trubisky. They drafted a kid in Pickett who Matt Canada actually recruited to the University of Pittsburgh when he was the offensive coordinator there. He has quarterbacks that fit his scheme and his style now. The Steelers also went out and got that 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 athletic speedster at receiver 
in a Calvin Austin offense that fits into Canada's system very well as a slot option. They went out and got the deep threat in George Pickens in the draft. There, there is no excuse for Matt Canada to not be able to utilize his entire playbook. I know that there were concerns last year when he kind of let slip one week during his, his uh, media availability that there were times throughout games where he just ran out of plays in the playbook. That, that can't happen this year. He should have full access to his own playbook, his own scheme, the plays he wants to run, because he has the talent available now on his team. The only concern with this offense will remain the offensive line. Uh, obviously, they went out and they added Mason Cole and James Daniels and they brought back Chukwuma and Kornifor, but there are still concerns about the talent level on the offensive line. But as far as Canada goes, there there is no excuse whatsoever this year. If this offense falters again, the Steelers have to make a change and they have to make it quickly. Yeah, agree, agree. Um, I was one of them that was calling for Canada's job last year because I felt like his offense alone just didn't allow Ben to be Ben, you know? It was just, it was just like you said, a one-year marriage that just wasn't bound to work because it was two different styles of play. Like, Matt Canada's more of a new-school mobility, you know, fancy, flashing, you know, flashy offense, and then you had Ben, who was more hard-nosed. But shipping you know shipping gears here a little we got to speak on coach Mike Tomlin because a lot of people are now questioning him as can he do it without Ben because a lot of his milestones exception of 2019 you can say were all with Roethlisberger as his quarterback do you think he will be okay with life after Ben yeah I think Mike Tomlin is the most underrated head coach in the NFL uh, I know that the fan base is exceptionally hard on him for some of his you know, let's be honest, they're head-scratching decisions in-game. Uh, he has his, his faults, you know, between the white lines with the game actually happening. But this notion that he can't be successful without Ben Roethlisberger is crazy to me. Uh, we saw it in 2019. He had a team led by Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges on the brink of the playoffs after losing Roethlisberger six quarters into the season. The Steelers realistically could have gone in the tank at that point and just said, you know what, we'll regroup, we'll get a high draft pick, we'll try again in 2020. That didn't happen. That team fought for him. They were in it until the final three weeks of the season. Realistically, they had a shot at the playoffs in the final week against the Ravens that year. Mm-hmm. Mike Tomlin is a, a um, great motivator of men. I know some people take that as a slight, but that's a great trait to have as a head coach. He is an exceptionally smart X's and O's head coach. Gets the most out of his players week to week. I know there are concerns. Sometimes the Steelers aren't prepared under him. They have clunkers, but it happens in the NFL. The opponents have all pros and pro bowlers and and good NFL starters as well. Um, I think Mike Tomlin is going to be perfectly fine. I know there's this thought process out there that the Steelers are going to be a below 500 team this year. I just cannot see it. Uh, I think they're going to be a solid team once again. They're going to be in the playoff hunt into December. And they're, they're just going to play the old-school style of football that made the Steelers successful. They're going to run the ball. They're going to play physical defense. They're going to take care of the football on offense. And they're going to win close games that might not be pretty in today's NFL, but at the end of the day, a win is a win. 
Exactly. And Tomlin even, you know, told fans when he first when he won his first Super Bowl was 60 minutes is Steelers football. It ain't going to be pretty. Remove style points. But you brought up running the football. That's where I want to go because this is where I knocked Matt Canada last year because I don't think he ran the ball enough last year. You have a running back like Najee Harris. You have a fullback like Derek Watt. How do you think they should be utilized more in this offense this year, especially with running back, I mean, fullback Derek Watt? Yeah, I'd like to see more, you know, 11 personnel. Uh, heck, I'd even like to see more 21 personnel. I'd like to see Zach Gentry on the field more. Uh, I think a lot of the issues with the run game last year was leaving it up to those RPOs with Ben Roethlisberger uh, and, and changing them into passes at the line of scrimmage. And that's not a knock on Ben. It's going to be something in the defense that led to some of those decisions. Uh, and it also didn't help that the offensive line wasn't very good last year. Uh, but as far as Derek Watt goes, I think he's a solid fullback, but he's not on this team for his abilities as a fullback. He's on this team for his special teams abilities. Uh, and if you want to if you want to see the fullback more, that means you've got to take a passing game weapon off the field, uh, like a George Pickens or a Calvin Austin or a Zach Gentry going to, you know, just a single tight end formation. And that can make the box, you know, heavier defensively, which really could, could give the Steelers' offense some issues in the run game. Uh, I would like to see them run the football a lot more this year. But at the same time, I don't want to see Najee Harris run into the ground. So that raises another concern about the backup running back job. Uh, but, yeah, last year, as far as the Steelers' offense goes, there were situations where it was very clear they should have been running the football and they weren't. Uh, and I think that was certainly a fault of Matt Canada last year. Agree. Um, I think that a lot of people say that Bed wanted to throw the ball that often. I don't believe so because the one thing we definitely – you know, can see throughout that season that outside of Pat Fryer move and Deontay Johnson, you know, possibly Juju, the one person on that offense that Ben believed in and believed that can hold its own is not G. Harris. So, mm-hmm. you know, shipping gears a little here. Speaking of not G, how do you think he can, you know, improve from last season as he did average eight touchdowns over a thousand yards. Can this be a poised breakout year for Najee Harris? I think it can, but it depends on what your definition of a breakout year is. I think he's certainly a Pro Bowl caliber running back once again. Uh, I think he'll improve on his 1,200 rushing yards, but I, I don't think the receptions are going to be there like they were last year with Ben Roethlisberger. So hopefully. You see a decline in touches for Najee just because the offense has more playmakers around him. Uh, where I'd like to see him really improve, though, is just his overall vision. Um, I know that that could sound a little crazy, but there were times last year when Najee missed some holes uh, and, and really just put his team in a tough position because he was missing things. And I think a lot of that was he was under siege as soon as he touched the football at times, so he was a little gunshot. Uh, and was just going to, you know, bash it up into the line and get what he could. This year, though, I think the line has improved in front of him, should be much better from a rock walking standpoint. I'd like to see him take a step forward in terms of his vision. Um, but other than that, there's not very many holes whatsoever in his game. I mean, obviously, he's not going to be that explosive running back that's going to rip off a bunch of 20-plus yard runs. He didn't do it in college. He's not going to do it in the NFL. 
but I'd like to see him have that vision and, and kind of avoid some of the contact um, you know, throughout games that could hopefully keep him fresh down the stretch. Yeah, you the running back, like, okay, the running back depth is a concern, but Najee Harris, to me, is the least of those concerns because I got questions about Benny Snell. Um, can he be able to improve from within his first two to three years with the team and help out Najee a little as, you know, as the running back, you know, as running back number two? Because here's the thing. I haven't seen much from Benny Snell to believe that if Najee Harris was to go down, can he help? Can he hold it down enough to at least keep the running game consistent to be competitive? Still, how do you think the Steelers should handle that headed into this season? There's one guy on the free agency market I'd love for them to have interest in. It's Justin Jackson, former Chargers running back. Uh, he's just 26 years old, has just over 200 career carries, but over a thousand career rushing yards. Uh, he is the ideal complement to Najee Harris for me. Uh, just in my opinion, he's on the market because the Chargers decided to go younger and cheaper at the position. That's it. They used late-round draft picks to back up Austin Eckler and Ellen. Uh, but it doesn't seem like the Steelers are going to do anything at the running back position heading into training camp. They still seem to believe in Benny Snell Jr. as that complimentary number two and as a special team standout. I mean, he's, he's still around due to his abilities on special teams. We saw in 2019 when James Conner went down that Snell could handle an increased role. Now, is it adequate enough as a starting running back? No, but he can handle kind of that 15 to 17 carries a game. He'll get you 75 to 90 yards, maybe a touchdown. That's passable, but he's not a threat in the passing game whatsoever. He's not great in terms of making defenders miss. He's a solid pass protector. I just don't like him as the complement to Najee Harris because their styles are so similar as that physical running back. He's not that change-of-pace guy that the Steelers need to come in, you know, after the ground and pound of Harris to hit them with that speed. That's where Anthony McFarland comes in realistically. If McFarland can stay healthy and show something here, he could see an increased role in 2022. He's that that speed back, that guy that can take a touch 75 yards to the house, to be a weapon in the past. Obviously, we know Matt Canada is familiar with him from their time in Maryland together. But there, there are concerns about the backup running back position, and I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon, especially in training camp. If anything happens to Najee Harris, I think the Steelers' offense is in real trouble, uh, and I, I think that says enough about the depth right now. Yeah, I think so too. I I was one of them that believed that they should have at least shot for a backup running back in this past draft where there was to me a more than enough talent there to do so. So with all these questions, obviously in the quarterback position because you know, Ben's retirement, Mitchell Trubisky, Mason Rudolph, Kenny Pickett, and then I I don't think there's any questions in the wide receiving court. I think they'll be pretty fine. O-line got questions, the running back death behind Najee got questions. How does the Pittsburgh Steelers prepare mentally as a team to overcome all of this headed into this season? I think it's just having that chip on their shoulder. I mean, obviously right now they're, they're being significantly overlooked both individually and as a team. You know, a lot of people are projecting them to have a below 500 season and, and really struggle because of the play at quarterback and the lack of depth of the secondary. 
that's going to motivate this group so well under Mike Tomlin. You've got to let that chip really drive you. Uh, and, and, and doubt is a great fuel for professional athletes. We've seen Cam Hayward in recent days talk about how he's constantly being you know, put down or overlooked. That's going to resonate with the rest of the team as well. They, these athletes see it. They see what people say in the media. They see what their expectations are. Uh, and that's all they are, are, just expectations on paper. When the pads come on, that chip is going to fuel this group. And they have to go into the season with an us-against-the-world mentality. And I think that's what's going to happen under Tomlin, and it's going to drive them week after week to prove people wrong. And you're going to see a team that plays very hard, much like we saw in 2019 under Mike Tomlin, much like we saw early in Bill Cowher's career as well in the early 90s when people died at the Steelers after Chuck Noll retired. Yeah. Cowher, you know, that's, that's to me... He's somebody who restarted the tradition after Chuck Noll. You know, Calvert, Tomlin, Steelers has always had solid head coaches. And the crazy thing is, they all got Super Bowl titles since the Chuck Noll era. They all, you know, they've kept their team on a consistent basis, at least in the conversation. Mm-hmm. But speaking of conversation... Which Steeler player is due for a bounce back year this year? In the lights of Chase Claypool, Devin Bush, obviously they had down years since they're, you know, Claypool had a down year last year after his rookie season where he took the league by his milestone and then he plummeted a little. Then you had Devin Bush who was just coming back from an ACL injury. Then you got Tyson Alahu now coming back from, I believe it was a broken ankle. From and missed last season. Which one of these guys are due for a bounce back year? I think it's going to be Devin Bush. I think he's going to get back to that that level of play he had as a rookie. I know everyone is down on him at the moment, but there's still a very good linebacker in there. Uh, last year, obviously, coming back from the knee injury, he spent all offseason last year rehabbing from that knee injury just to be ready to go day one of training camp. And it was remarkable that he was able to do that but he wasn't able to fully prepare for the NFL season that offseason because of the rehab to get back on the field. Uh, so he was a little bit behind, and then obviously not being fully prepared, it, it, it led to some mental struggles as well, and he just saw things really snowball for Bush. Now he has an upgrade next to him in Miles Jack. He has Brian Flores in the fold, Carol Austin's in UBC. He's got some help in front of him now along the defensive line with Tyson Alulu. They brought in Larry Ogunjobi. Bush should be able to get back to that level of play as a rookie where he's flying around, making plays on the football, creating turnovers. I think he's going to have a good bounce back here, and it's going to force the Steelers' hand to either re-sign him before free agency or, or, or potentially let him walk. So, Devin Bush is the easy answer for me, but I'd also wouldn't shock me if Chase Claypool it becomes a touchdown machine again. But based on that question, I, I will say Devin Bush bounces back in a big way this year. Yeah, I definitely see it. Um, Brian Flores' addition, I was still, I'm still stoked about that. I didn't expect him to land with the Steelers out of all organizations with the controversy of the lawsuits he has against the NFL since being fired from the Miami Dolphins. But shipping gears back to Ben, which will be, unfortunately, the final question of this segment, is 
how should Ben Roethlisberger's legacy as an NFL player be defined? Oh, um, man, that's a, that's a great question. Just a tough, hard-nosed player that was willing to do whatever it took to win. Uh, I know he certainly had his transgressions off the field. You don't want to sweep that under the rug. But on the field, he was tough as nails. Uh, just willed his team to win consistently. Uh, could really just play that backyard style, put his team on his back. I don't think we'll ever really see a quarterback like him again, one that you know could just take a beating, have guys hanging off of him, make yeah. big-time throws, lead a team to wins on a consistent basis. Uh, just an exceptional leader on the field. Um, like I said, one that probably will never be replicated again. I know that there are some players that try and, you know, mimic his play style in the NFL today. But yeah. Ben was the ultimate gunslinger, the guy that just, like I said, could really take a beating and just make plays on a consistent basis and will his team to win. I mean, we even saw it last year in 2021. You know, second half of games, the playbook would kind of go out the window. The game plan would go out the window offensively, and Ben would just go back to Big Ben football, backyard football, and, and will his team to win. I mean, he had seven fourth-quarter comeback wins last year. Uh, so that's, that's who Ben Roethlisberger was. Just could do anything it, it, it took to win football games. Yeah, uh, Ben, no question, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever played, one of the greatest players to ever play. Obviously will be missed regardless of what happens in the stage of life after him. But, Josh, unfortunately, I have to let you go. That's all I have for you this segment. I would like to thank you once again for joining the Mike Bomb Podcast. If you guys have the time, give this dude a follow on Twitter as he will be giving you more updates on the Steelers heading into the season and during the season. Thank you, Josh. I hope you have a great day. Enjoy your life. Absolutely. Thank you. You're welcome. See you soon, Josh. All right. And that was Josh Carney from the Steelers Depot. If you would like to listen to more of that, you can definitely follow him and follow the Steelers Depot page on Twitter. This is, has been this segment of the Mike Bomb Podcast. If you'd like to listen to more, keep tuning into this episode as I will be joined by Cincinnati Bengals diehard fan and media personality, Just Eric, as he joined the show to speak about the expectations of the Bengals heading into the 2022 season. Enjoy. See you soon. Welcome to the Mike Bomb Podcast with your host, May Shayla, kicking it at you on this beautiful Thursday. I am now kicking off this episode with just Eric from Twitter. Eric, introduce yourself to the audience. Shay, I appreciate you having me on. I'm a, uh, I'm a Bengals fan and uh, built my brand on Twitter and uh, happy to be here, man. Yeah, um, you are Bengals fans. <laughs> Listen, we all going to be completely honest. I know I had my words about your Bengals, and obviously I get it. You disagree with me. Others disagree with me. So with this being said, let's just kick this off. What are your expectations for the Bengals this upcoming season? Obviously, as they just came off of, you know, an incredible run in the Super Bowl, obviously falling short to the L.A. Rams. What would be your expectations from them from here on and out as the AFC North is possibly the most vulnerable on paper as it's ever going to be again, most likely? Yeah, I think 
I think uh, for the team right now, they're young. They got a, they got a core piece to put the quarterback in Joe Burrow. And, um, you know, my, I feel like this team every season still, uh, you know, the roster drastically should be looking to go back to the Super Bowl and win one. But it's it. Uh, that's the only thing this team hasn't done. So they got to get it done. So you feel like, in other words, it's do or die for the Bengals. I feel like, I wouldn't say do or die, but I, I feel like this is the window for the Bengals. Like, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of teams, uh, when they have a franchise quarterback, they talk about the Super Bowl window, right? I feel like this is the Bengals' Super Bowl window, right? Joe Burrow's still in the rookie deal. Uh, he's got at least a year or two on that. Um, and then you talk about, hey, you know, taking advantage of having this small contract. And having young players in the rookie deals and just winning, right? They're coming off of an AFC championship. And I wouldn't say it's do or die, uh, but I would say, you know, the stakes are raised and the expectations are raised. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, you're not an organization that's been known for winning, especially winning a big one. So the goal would obviously be to change that. But. Is it possible that your secondary can take a downturn this year and it can possibly lead to a regression year because we're not even sure if Jesse Bates is going to be back this year for the Bengals. What are your thoughts on that? And, you know, have you heard anything about his contract deal or things like that? Because I haven't heard anything since pretty much they franchise tagged him and he unfollowed them on Instagram, removed them from his bio, things like that. It seemed like it's getting ugly more ugly as it goes on. What are your thoughts on that deal? And if you are the Bengals, what would you pay Jesse Bates? Uh, you know, I, I think the Jesse Bates situation is interesting. Um, I think, no doubt, he's a player that want to keep a part of your team, but also at the same time, you don't want to overpay for a player that's not in a premium position. Uh, across the NFL right now, there's premium positions and then there's positions. Uh, that are premium, right? And unfortunately, free safety, uh, linebacker, those are some of the positions that fall in that category. Um, so do I think they should pay Jesse Bates? Yes, I, I think that he could be paid about 16 mil a year, maybe 16 to 17 million a year uh, in that range on a four-year deal. I think that would be fair. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing for the contract, though, is, is the guaranteed money. So... Uh, it's been kind of quiet on that part. I'm not an insider, so I don't have inside lines to Jesse Bates or anything like that. But uh, I do know that him and Joe Burrow, uh, Joe Burrow made it a point to meet up with him in Las Vegas before camp starts. So my expectation is that Jesse Bates will probably play this season. Um, so if Jesse Bates doesn't play, right, of course, you're talking about losing a veteran presence. He played very well in the playoffs. But let's not let's not shit ourselves here. In the regular season this past season, Jesse Bates played his worst season uh, since he's been a Bengal. So uh, I think Daxton Hill could be able to come in and play at that level uh, that, that Jesse Bates played at last year. But I think Jesse Bates is a is a top player. The last year wasn't his best season. but And I think that the reason why it wasn't his best season is because he was thinking about the contract. So um, I think Joe will convince him, though, to come back on, on that little trip they're taking together. They're probably out in Vegas right now talking about his contract. Hopefully, maybe they can, he can help them get a deal done. Uh, but I think at the least, I think Jesse Bates will play. So I don't really respect, uh, expect a lot of regression from the defensive back. 
uh, are the Bengals. I, I mean, I think they'll play just about where they're at. You know, Ben Wuzier had his best season. Uh, Eli Apple played well for the, the six games that he, was a, that he was a part of. And then um, they have Trey Flowers, who's been really good at shutting down tight ends. Mike Hilton, we know he's a top player in this week. He plays for the Steelers, so I think you know a lot about him. Yeah. Uh, and then we got some young, some young guns coming in. Cam Taylor Britt, uh, Jackson Hill, players who are very versatile, that are great in man coverage, and players that uh, offer some versatility. So I honestly think this defensive back, this defensive back uh, room, will take a step forward. They got more athletic, more athletic. They just need some better, better presence, right? Ideally, Jackson Hill can learn from Jesse Bates, but we'll see how it goes on that end. Yeah. Obviously, you, you're you a Bengal fan. Well, if I was one, I wouldn't want to lose him regardless of who else I had because here's the thing. They they think I hate you guys. You know, they think I'm a Bengals hater. But I just had an issue with moments like this. It's like this situation is kind of proving me right because you and I both agree he should at least see between 14 to, you know, 16 million or maybe 17 and obviously, I think that a great deal between them, between them two teams. If Jesse Bates is asking, because this is what your fans were saying, you know, I was just reading tweets, scrolling through about the stories and stuff, and I seen that apparently, even regardless of the money that Minka Fitzpatrick just got paid, which was eighteen point four, um, Jamal Adams seventeen and a half, and then we don't even know what Doran James is going to get. And my projection for him is my prediction for him is that he's going to be the one who's going to reset the safety market that Minka deal just reset it. So it's like Jesse Bates is apparently only asking for 14 to $15 million a year. And it's like Bengal fans saying that they're not, he's not worth that. How do you feel when you hear that come out the mouth of Bengal fans? I don't, I don't know if he's asking for $14 million. He'd be selling this stuff very low. Uh, I, I think, I don't know if that's the case. I don't know who told you that, but I don't think that's what he's asking for. Uh, what, I, what I've heard is that he's around, he's actually asking for around the 15 to 17, maybe a little bit higher, maybe around that uh, Jamal Adams. Uh, and I, look, I, I, think it's, I think it's reasonable. I think it's fair what he's asking. But I think as a franchise, and I think all teams, you really have to start looking at the cap, looking at where you can spend big, uh, upcoming contracts and things like that to make sure you have enough room uh, to keep certain players. I think the B- the Bengals, uh, you know, I don't know if their focus is going to – well, I know their focus is going to be on extending the young receivers and keeping them, uh, but I agree. I mean, look, if they don't extend that debate, uh, it, it'll be a downer, right? I think it'll be it'll be a downer, but I, I do think that even if we do lose Jesse Bates, um, I just think that they'll be able to replace this production. Um, and, and it might not be right away. Dax, who knows what Dyson Hill is going to be like this first year, but I just don't see safety as a premium position. And sometimes the scheme can help out safeties as well, too. But And, and you got to think, they got Von Bell back there, too, right? So he's a veteran. So if they don't get Jesse Bates, they got to extend Von Bell. I think it's one or the other. Yeah, because we, okay, I'm not going to lie. I kind of resemble your team history of not giving players their worth the money. And a lot of Bengal fans just didn't appreciate my recent tweets about that and things of that nature. And now it's like slowly but surely those who you could kind of say picked at me a little on this. (laughs) 
was pretty much it's like they were slowly but surely turning on Jesse as saying, you know, he's not worth it, saying that he should let they they're now calling for Von Bell to walk so they can get younger. But here's the thing, it's like if you do you draft Daxon Hill, who sees gonna be more bound to replace then if you're gonna sit here and cut Von Bell too? Is it gonna be him or is it gonna be Jesse? That's the whole thing. So Moving on forward, what did you are you sold on them bringing back Eli Apple before they extended Jesse Bates? Uh, you know, I, I, I think people uh hate Eli Apple. Uh, I know he's got a lot of flack from the public and he didn't play well in the beginning of his uh his NFL career. Uh, but the but the reality is that he he played at a high level in the last six or seven games. People are never going to give him his credit until he continues to do it at a high level. And uh, he was cheap, right? They, they signed him on another one-year deal. He was extremely cheap because no one else would take him. And if he played well getting then um, I, I think the Bengals get another steal. I don't think they'll bring him back after another one-year deal. Um, but I, I think it's a place to where they got competition in the room. I think Cam Taylor Britt has an opportunity there to challenge him for the, the QB2 role. Uh, but, I mean, Eli Apple played well last year. I mean, he forced the game on an interception versus the Tennessee Titans to go to the ASC championship. So, uh, Eli Apple doesn't have the name that, you know, um, people respect in the, in the national media. And uh, I also wanted to kind of talk about the, the, the paying as well, too, that you were kind of mentioning, which I totally understand what you're saying. I know what the narrative is in the Bengals, but... The reality is the Bengals made Carson Palmer the highest paid quarterback way back when. Um, they also made Joe Cinco and they brought in Terrell Owens and TJ Houston Zada um, and had Chris Henry as well too. And then a couple seasons ago, they paid, you know, two hundred million dollars in free agency to bring in those guys, Trey Hendrickson, DJ Reader, Mike Hilton, pivotal guys that helped on the defense that helped take this team to the Super Bowl. So I know the narrative. I understand kind of where that where that comes from, and uh, some of it has some merit, no doubt about it. Where they haven't paid players like Andrew Whitworth, uh, but I, I think there's a turning of the tide, um, and I think if they don't pay Jesse Bates, I don't think that means that the organization is taking a step back. I think they're really saying, hey, we might be able to to, to uh, let this player go and still get better, right? I, I think that's a potential. Um, they brought in three of those offensive linemen this offseason, too. So, I don't know. I kind of see it a little bit different. Maybe I'm a little bit optimistic, and I hate to, to look at it with orange-colored glasses, but I think that's just the reality. Right? They spent money. They've shown that. They brought in they three new offensive linemen. They actually spent the first deal in free agency this season, uh, and that's something the Bengals have never done. So, Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I see what you're saying. Sure. Yeah, um, so – Let's just, you know, two more questions pertaining to Jesse Bates. So, obviously, I'm going to be completely honest here. I have him ranked number three on my list of safeties behind Minka Fitzpatrick and Doran James. I can't name any other safeties in the National Football League that are better than him. Where would you rank Jesse Bates? So, I have, um, man, Justin Simmons. My number one. Mm. And then I got Mika. Yeah, I got Justin Simmons at number one. Then I got Mika. Um, then I got Derwin James. 
And then I have, uh, I'd say Jesse's probably the top four. I can't think of any cases off the top of my head right now. I'm blanking. I know Jamal Adams, and, and he's out there, but I can't think of any other safeties that I would put up on Jesse um, outside of those four. But I think Minka, you know, he's a great safety. Uh, Justin Simmons is a great safety. Derwin James is a great safety. He can't, he usually, I mean, he stayed healthy last season, but he's had health issues and staying on the field. Uh, but we know when he's on the field, he is an absolute animal. So Definitely. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of put Jesse at four in that range. But, you know, the big thing about safety, Shane, and to me, I played safety. I mean, it's a, you know, don't get me wrong, it's a tough position. But you could put a lot of guys out there in safety and have success. I mean, the Rams had Eric Weddle, who had a freaking torn shoulder, throughout two plays safety, you know? So, I don't know. I see the position a little bit different now and not maybe as valuable as it used to be. Um, but Jesse Bates is a top player, man. There's no doubt about it. Any team, if he doesn't sign with us, any team that gets him is going to be lucky to have him. He's a great person. I think that's the biggest thing about Jesse. He's a great person off the field. Yeah, and you, that's the frustrating part about this deal process is how can somebody not get the deal that they want when they're very productive on the field, their you know their presence is felt in the locker room and you know on on the field and then you're a great person off the field you know he gives back to the community as much as he can he actually has a great foundation that i that i actually enjoy you know listening and hearing more about which is jesse bay single mother's um foundation i believe where he helps out unfortunate families with single moms raising kids things like that i find that pretty dope of a man to do and then he explains the story of how he's Let's just say he's, you know, he was raised by a single mom. So he just wants to get back and help out those who are single mothers raising kids. So when you have a player like that and with great playing on the field, and honestly, this might bring in a lot. And you think about it from a marketing standpoint, it could bring in a lot of more, a lot of female fans because let's face facts here. Maybe you don't go that way, but I do. But Jesse's a pretty good-looking guy. So when you think about that, it can attract more fans. He's obviously going to bring up your secondary because of what he brings to the table individually. And then you got to think about the work that he does outside of football in the community. So it's like, how can him and the Bengals come to a conclusion for a long-term contract deal? Is it's frustrating. And then speaking of... It is, yeah, it is frustrating. I'm sorry to cut you off, Shay, because I, I agree with you. It is frustrating. I'm hoping the two can come to, I'm hoping the two can come to a deal. I think that, I think the biggest thing is his agent is Drew Rosenhaus. Uh, he, he signed some of those record-breaking deals that we've seen recently with the fully guaranteed contract. And I, I think that could be the holdup. I know the Bengals definitely want to sign, I know they do want to sign him. But it's just about getting to that right number. Uh, and no, no doubt about it. Jesse Bates is a, is a great person. What he's doing off the field is huge. Uh, and yeah, you're right. Maybe he, he could bring a lot of more, more, uh, women fans. And women in sports is what we need. You know, we need more of it. So, so I agree with you 100%. Yeah. You know, but. Obviously, I heard that Jesse changed agents over the time, and he is now signed under Athlete's first agency, which is David Metaletta, um, his clients. And I looked at a lot of 
athletes first clients here and you got athletes like Jayla Ramsey you got athletes like Alva Kamara Michael Thomas who at the time they got their deals they were ranked the highest paid in their positions then you look at Buda Baker and Kevin right. Board and these guys are making like 16 16 and a half million dollars and then you just saw Mika's deal which is 18.4 million dollars so how you think that can affect Jesse Bates you know mentality heading into this new contract deal with the Bengals I think I think Jesse Bates and I, I know he has said that it, and I'm sorry I misspoke about the agent is Dave Archuleta but I think that Jesse wants to get paid as much as he can honestly I really do uh, does he want to be the highest paid safety? I don't know. But if I had to bet my bottom dollar on it, he wants to be really close to where Mika's at. Um, so that's why I think the that's why I think the problem is there was getting the deal done because uh, maybe the Bengals don't see him at that number, and also as well too, you know, fans saw him in the playoffs making plays, but uh, Jesse didn't play well with him. He really didn't play well with him. Um, he, he, well, not going to say he didn't play well. He had his worst performance as a Bengal this season. Uh, that's probably the better way. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and listen, I ain't followed much of him. I followed him a lot this year, but obviously I didn't really pay much of his statistics any mind like that. Um, obviously, you had no choice but to watch him in the postseason because one, your team is out, and we know we're in a reload and rebuilds phase in Pittsburgh. So I pretty much know what to expect so far, as I already spoke on that previous episodes. But if you are the Cincinnati Bengals and you are Jesse Bates, would you think it's safe to say to come to a possible trade if a deal cannot get done by the deadline, July 9th? Is the deadline July 16th? Is it the Um Will they come to a trade? Should they come to a trade? <laughs> if, if they if they can't get a deal done, move him. Like just trade him. Like if you're not gonna pay the man, get him out of here and get some value for him. Someone will probably send a second round pick. Uh, maybe a you know I, I don't know if someone was in the first. I mean, people have sent worse picks before, draft picks before. So, I don't know if his value would be that. He might be a second to third round value. Um, but, yeah, I think if they can't get a deal done, they definitely should trade him. But will that happen? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's a hard. Honestly, this is one of the most difficult situations that you can cover as a, as a sports personality, sports reporter, etc. Like, if you are a sports journalist in any way, shape, or form, this is one of the most complicated stories because you're hearing, like, you're hearing much, but you're not hearing as much as you need to hear. And he obviously didn't sign the franchise tag. He liked reports about Devontae Adams not signing the franchise tag with the Green Bay Packers. They also had an issue with him you know, retweeting John Morant's tweet of yesterday's price ain't today's price, liking the, you know, liking the tweet, retweeting it, not signing the franchise tag, saying that he doesn't want to play under it. So if the Bengals, like, do not offer him nothing more than that this year, can this be a year for a possible holdout? Um, if I'm Jesse Bates, just looking at it, mm -hmm. I'm not holding out. 
12 million a year would be the most he's ever made in his life, you know, for a full year. So I, I don't, I don't think. Oh, now I don't know if he can just walk away from 12 million dollars like that. I don't, I don't think he would do that. I don't know if he can do that. And um, if I was somebody with security, I can just say, hey, look, if he's not going to get a deal done and strictly business, I'm coming back to play, but I won't be here the following year, right? Unless the Bengals just offer him a great contract, but. Um, no, nah, I don't. I don't think he would hold out. I think, I think when you see players hold out like that, we saw we saw a couple players hold out, and it didn't go well for them. Le'Veon Bell held out <laughs> by the Jets, and then his career was washed. Yeah, you definitely. So, I don't think that's something he would do. Yeah, I mean, you would hope not, especially as a Bengal fan, because you know when he's there and when he's healthy and everything, what he brings to the table from, you know, to your entire defense, let alone your secondary and your team. But if you are to trade him, who do you think would be a good candidate for him to be traded to? I think the Eagles. I think the Eagles would be a good team. I think anywhere in the NFC, the Cowboys may be a good team to send them to. Uh, anywhere over there in the NFC, definitely a good team to send them to. Get them out of the AFC, uh, AFC and uh, get them over there to the NFC because you never want to play against your own guys, you know. <laughs> so uh, I think definitely the Eagles, Cowboys will be probably some good teams to send them to, and they could definitely use the help. Yeah, I think the Eagles would make the better sense than the Cowboys because, honestly, a guy like that who came from a Super Bowl performance, which to me he played pretty well in that Super Bowl and leading up to the Super Bowl appearance. But shipping gears a little here, um, Jesse Bates and T. Higgins now has the same agent and they're under the same you know, agency. So with this being said, how do you think the Jesse Bates situation can possibly affect T. Higgins as he, as the Bengals organization will be putting up with the same agent come that contract deal as T. Higgins is set to expire next year? Well, you know, some of these, some of these agents are, you know, trying to get the back deal so they can get their cut. Right. I don't know if Dave Archibald is a guy like that. Is he the guy who, uh, I don't know. I don't know who he represents. But um, what I would say is I don't I don't think it's going to have an impact on the T. Higgins deal. I think the Bengals will try to get T. Higgins extended early. Probably after you know, third year, try to get him extended early. Uh, so there's no issues with that. That's what I think. All right. So you're expecting T. Higgins to stay and possibly Jesse to walk?
Yeah, uh, TJ, that that deal, honestly, the fact that TJ was the one who pulled the trigger because it was his agent who actually was asking the Steelers for more money than TJ asked him for when he when he pretty much walked in the front office and was like, I want this, this, and this for this, me- this amount of time, and the deal got done. Obviously, it played out well for us Steelers fans because that would have been a massive yeah. blow on the team if we would have lost him or Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Agents sometimes make it cloudy, right? Because the 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 real the reality of the nature is that they do get a cut, right? <laughs> so yes. they try to look out for the pockets too. So that's something that you know it it definitely makes sense to kind of get the max deal because that's going to help them out. Uh, but at the same time, too, when a player wants to play for an organization like Jesse wants to play for Cincy, um, sometimes you got to put that aside. They did though. All right, Eric. Um, last question before I let you go, and you know we go about our day. I got a question about Mr. Jamar Chase here. Obviously, he did have a real impressive victory. I mean, not victory, but an impressive rookie season headed into last season. Obviously, coming out of LSU, joining his college quarterback Joe Burrow. Now they're back the LSU bromance minus you know Theodore Moss and Justin Jefferson. What are the expectations for Jamar Chase? Can you say this be a, a sophomore slump, or can this be what in his for his caliber elitely a leap year? You're breaking up a little bit, Shay, but I, I think you asked me about what's the expectation for Jamar Chase coming. To yeah, the can this be? Would you consider this a leap year or? a slump year for Jamar Chase as he is heading into his second year in the league. What are your expectations for him this season as what we saw in the press of rookie season? I, you know, I think Jamar Chase will be one of the greatest receivers of this era. Um, I, I think he's just getting started. I think he, he's probably setting more goals for himself and he's going to break it on draft night. He said he's going to break every single Bengals record. He's going to win rookie of the year, be the best receiver in Bengals history, uh, and he 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 damn near bro- he broke every rookie record coming into the team, uh, and he did that. And I think uh, you know this coming season for Jamar, I think the the ceiling is the roof, <laughs> and um, I, I think he's gonna you know I think he's a special player. I think he's probably going to be one of the greatest receivers in history when we look back at it if he continues on this trend. So. Um, I think the expectation is very high for him. He had a greater rookie season for Randy Moss, I believe. So, um, expectation high, he's playing with his college quarterback. I don't think the reason why he can't, you know, uh, come back and do maybe maybe more of the same. I mean, if, even if he came back and had the same production, it still would be outstanding. I mean, 81 catches, 1,400 yards, eight, uh, 13 touchdowns. I mean, that's you know, that's a pretty impressive stat line, especially for a rookie. And to do it as a veteran would still be impressive. So uh, I, I think I think he's still going to do the same, provided he can stay healthy. Yeah. I, you know what? That's all. I, thank you, Eric. Um, that's Unfortunately, I'm going to have to let you go. That's all I pretty much have for you on this segment. Um, you guys, if you have the time, get this dude a follow at just Eric underscore on Twitter where – he is your Bengals guy. He will keep you updated all year long about his precious Bengals. 
Good luck. See you guys week one. And yeah, we're done here, Eric. Thank you for joining. Shay, thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate you and have a good night. You too. Thank you. Alright guys, that's been Just Eric from Twitter, Bengals Twitter. If you want, give him a follow at Just Eric. Um, I will see you on the next segment of the Mike Bomb Podcast with your host, May Shayla. See you next segment. Let's keep it up. And welcome to the final segment of the Mike Bomb Podcast with your host, May Shayla, kicking it at you one last time on this episode. So... Now it's time to get started once again. It's been a lot of interesting news happening around the league, but particularly the NFL. But I think that the one thing that stood out when yesterday afternoon, particularly former Browns quarterback, now Carolina Panthers quarterback, Baker Mayfield was traded away from the Cleveland Browns to the Carolina Pat, correct me, Carolina Panthers for a fifth round draft pick. Um, honestly, it's, it's hard to get my words out right now because I just can't believe what the Panthers really gave up to get a guy like Baker. I understand that I was very critical on Baker Mayfield and his production and things of that nature, but really Browns, you know, I, I just can't, excuse me for this segment. If you know, anything gets thrown off, anything like that, because it's hard. You know, it's hard to get your words out if you're if you if you're someone like myself trying to pretty much recap all that happened within 24 hours of this move. The Baker Mayfield, just to give you a little more background, Baker Mayfield was the 2018 number one overall pick in the first round to the Cleveland Browns from Oklahoma. And yesterday was traded away to the Carolina Panthers in an exchangement for a fifth-round draft pick in the 2024 NFL Draft, which means the Browns won't have, you know, it's a great possibility they won't have a quarterback heading into this year because we're not even sure about the Deshaun Watson situation as we're waiting to hear something from him. And then Jacoby Prezet is just someone who's, Status is pretty much up in the air as if if he can or will he fill the shoes of either Baker or Watson. And when you're the Browns and you're in a division like the AFC North, now you got questions about who's your quarterback going to be. Can you really count on Jacoby Brissett to beat players like, let's just say, Mitchell Trubisky or Kenny Pickett? And then defensively in Pittsburgh, you're dealing with T.J. Watt, you're dealing with Mika, you're dealing with Cameron Hayward, you're dealing with new signee, Miles Jack, you're dealing with all them guys. And then you also, obviously, you're dealing with Najee and Pat and, you know, Claypool, Johnson. Yeah, you get the picture in Pittsburgh. Then you go into Cincinnati, where obviously on paper, they should be the better team and should be the best team this year. But I have my takes on that if you want to listen to that. Listen to the previous episode that was dropped. You can definitely hear it. I'm not getting really started into that, but let's look at what they have. Obviously, quarterback is Joe Barrow. 
Then their running back is Joe Mixon. Their wide receivers, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Then you got to go to the defensive side where you're dealing with Hendricks. You're dealing with Mike Hilton. You're dealing with Jesse Bates. If he plays the share contract situation in Cincinnati, still looking a little rocky there. But you're also dealing with, you know, Von Bell and a lot of these other guys in Cincinnati. Then you go to Baltimore, who's has all their starters practically back from last season, especially in the secondary and the lights of Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, they just added Kyle Hamilton to the secondary from the NFL draft with the number 17th overall pick, I believe. And then you turned right back around, and I think they got DJ Clark or who's their – yeah, I think that's their safety name, who's pretty good. You got a lot. And then you got Patrick McQueen. You got Calais Campbell, I believe, still there in Baltimore. That's going to be a lot for Jacoby Brissett to overcome, and that's just his division alone. What are you going to do here if you're the Cleveland Browns? And then you just gave up the number one overall pick in a 2018 draft for a fifth-round draft pick, not even this upcoming draft, but next year's draft. The following season draft, to be more exact, because I know next year is 2023. So what I meant by next year, I meant 2024. 2024, fifth-round, you know, for a fifth-round draft pick, not a first, not a second, not a third, but a fifth. And it's it's just, I don't know what to say about this. You know, I understand Baker Mayfield did not have the best season last year, as expected, playing with a torn labrum. You know, the running game, let's just say Nick Chubb was there, but Kareem wasn't. So I, you, you can definitely argue that that... You, that led to a downturn there. Miles Garrett, all them guys. It's just, I don't know. I I don't know how to put, you know, this into words because I just can't believe that the Cleveland Browns just got finessed. The, Pan- the Carolina Panthers, unless, let me, let me clarify this, unless the Cleveland Browns know something about Baker Mayfield or within his injury or whatever that the world or the sports world and the Panthers does not know, they got finessed. They got played like puppets. That's pretty much what just happened. It's like, so, which leads to the question of who won the trade on paper. I'm going to go with the Panthers because now the Cleveland Browns don't even have a quarterback that can be that starting caliber. They don't. And it's an argument now that they're the only team in the AFC North right now that has a quarterback that cannot be starting cap. That's not starting caliber. Think about this. Just, just think about this for a second. Can you really count on Jacoby Brissett to lead a division like the AFC North? The AFC North defensively is arguably the best division in the in the league. Their defenses, when healthy, are in the top ten. All other three defenses. That's gonna be that's problem number one. Najee, if the old line in Pittsburgh can get their act together and come back better this year than they did last season. The league can be in trouble, especially if Najee stays healthy and things go right in Pittsburgh as expected from a Steelers standpoint. But we know what the world is thinking as Roethlisberger called it quits back in January. But then you got to 
then I mentioned Baltimore. Then I'm okay, so I don't think I mentioned Cincinnati that much yet, but you got to think about them. You don't have a quarterback at all. I don't see Jacoby Brissett, you know, going into Cincinnati and doing what Baker Mayfield did last year. I don't see it. And I definitely don't see him winning against Pittsburgh. Not the way that defense just got better on paper. And that's really what it's going to be. It's going to be Pittsburgh's defense first versus the run game and Jacoby Brissett. That's really going to be the key matchup there. Is can the Steelers defense contain Jacoby Brissett enough for the offense or Najee to get going? Then you got to think about Baltimore. They're going to be back on a mission because they feel like they're being overlooked when all their starters are coming back in which they are and on paper has potential to be the you know to be the best secondary in football because what's missing i understand you know everybody's not the same coming off of knee injuries and things like that but guess what the same way how you cannot be the same it's the same way how you can be better you can overcome injuries i'm not saying that it's easy i'm not saying that it won't be a mission cuz that that would be other that would be utterly ridiculous, but you, listen, you, you can. That's pretty much what it is. I, I don't understand what the Browns were thinking in there at all. Thinking with this move at all. I don't think this was a great move by the Cleveland Browns. I'm sorry, I just don't see it. I don't understand why would you do this foolery. You just got played like fools in front of the entire world. Like, the entire world sat here and watched you play like fools. They watched, They just watched the Carolina Panthers finesse you because now if Baker Mayfield can play up to what people once thought he was when he first was drafted to the Cleveland Browns and say if Deshaun Watson does get suspended for the entire year or get suspended for two years, we don't even know how long is it going to be or if, if he's going to get suspended at all at this rate. We're not even sure. You're, you're in an unsure. You was already with the, with the guy that you just paid. You was already in an unsure situation with, your, with who you had pretty much as your starting quarterback with Deshaun Watson. You was in an unsure situation with his, availabil- with his availability. You're unsure about Jacoby Brissett. I mean, who isn't? And then you're just going to trade away a guy that you know when healthy. And if you can get the run game going, you can, you know, you can, you can make some noise. You can do some damage. You really can. This is why I argued. I said that he may not be such a great quarterback or whatever, but he could be a game manager. And if you know Cleveland could stay healthy, we could be seeing, we could have saw what we saw in 2020 or at least the end of it. But I don't I don't understand this with I don't understand this move with the Browns. I don't I don't get what and then what you gave up and what you received back for giving him up. You could have at least got a second round pick or at least a first. That's what you got to get him. You had the number one overall pick four to five years ago in the NFL draft. What on earth were you thinking? No, seriously. What on earth were you thinking if you're the Cleveland Browns? Unsure situation within the quarterback position. Unsure situation within your offensive line, which a lot of people can blame your quarterback's injury for, or 
blame for your quarterback's injury, to be more exact. It's just, I don't get this move. from. I get it from Carolina because when you have an unsure situation within the quarterback position, you know, you need someone who you feel has the potential to be a starter, and you don't want to throw your rookie quarterback out there with Matt Corral. You don't want to throw him out there in the Wolves. And you're unsure about Sam Darnold because you didn't see enough for him last year, which led to you getting Matt Corral out of Ole Miss. So you say, you know what, if we could keep Christian McCaffrey healthy and we could put somebody behind him and possibly create another Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt duo of a run game and we can buff up that old line, then maybe, just maybe, he won't have to do what I still stand on it, at least with majority of the quarterbacks, I don't believe he can do, which is throw the football as often or outgun the opposing team's quarterback because that was the differential within matchups that the Browns has lost, but you also got to think about it. How's, how, how can he win? Okay, he did have an inch of shoulder. It, so, which means his arm strength completely was not there. But if, you, if you're the Cleveland Browns, this, I don't think this is a smart move. It's hard for me to get my words out. It really is. And I know I'm sounding pretty repetitive here, but... Obviously, I don't want dead air or dead segments, but I also don't don't really have much to say. See, when when on the field, Baker Mayfield, no question, is at least a top 15 quarterback in the league. At least. He's been that since he's been in the league. No question. But the only thing I was saying when I was criticizing Baker was he was not a top five where everyone was placing him because he has not earned that keep yet. That's things I was saying. You can argue that he was in top ten, but okay. Deshaun Watson is most likely missing the year or missing at least half of the season. If he's going to get a suspension, it's going to be at the minimum that. Jacoby Brissett is unsure, has his off days as a starter. I mean, a lot of quarterbacks do, but he has more off days than on. Then you got to think about the O-line. Can they keep Jacoby healthy? Can they keep him protected? Because they failed to do that with Baker last year. You saw what happened. That's why he had that torn labrum, that he did get surgery off, that he apparently is full healthy and ready to go. And now you got this. What are you going to do now if you're the Cleveland Browns? What are you going to do now? Unless you know something about the Deshaun Watson situation that is not being revealed yet to the public. But I don't get this move right here. Maybe it, wasn't the, maybe it was getting uglier than we thought it was. Or at least I thought it was. And it was just unsolvable and you didn't want to keep him on the team or whatever. That's perfectly fine. But you don't give up just, you don't ask just back for a fifth round draft pick. Because you did not get him out the fifth round. And this is not a fifth round caliber player. He may be a second round. You know, some people say he possibly a third round. But it's like you just gave up a possible franchise quarterback for a bag of chips and a soda that, a flat soda that you'll split out within the first taste. That's pretty much what the Cleveland Browns just did. And there is nothing, there's nothing, there's no way around it. There's nothing you can say that can even 
explain this. Explain how you just got finessed like this. See, I'm looking at Baker's stats right now as I'm speaking. And in his years as an NFL starter, I'm going to just read to you his first year, he went 27 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, with a quarterback rating of 93.7, a completion percentage of 63.8. Second year, he did have a pretty little down year as he did go 22 for 21 with a 70 with a 78.8 quarterback rating and with a 59.4 completion percentage. Then he went back up 2020 when he did go for 26 for 8, 62.8 completing percentage, and a 95.9 quarterback rating. Then obviously 2021 was even more of his down year. His indefinitely, if not for sure, possibly his second, okay, indefinitely, his second year in the league where he did go 17 for 13, had a quarterback rating of 83.1, and had a completion percentage of 60.5. But that's not bad to be a starter because that all combines for 14,125 passing yards, a completion percentage of 61.8, 92 for 56 touchdown and interception ratio. And then you have an 87.8 quarterback rating overall in his career. And this guy just got traded away to a organiz- from an organization that he pretty much made relevant again for a fifth round draft pick. And not this upcoming draft, but the next one. The next one, and the Panthers pretty much don't have to pay the Browns jack. They, they're they not paying Cleveland jack squats for Baker Mayfield. They're not. They're not paying his last years of the contract. They're not doing jack. They're not. And obviously they got, they. you can argue that they got more for their money as, you know, they did give up a second, a fourth, and a sixth-round draft pick to get Sam Darnold out of New York. They did, you know, in the third and the fourth-round pick, they did get, you know, they did move up and got Matt Corral, and now they just gave up a fifth to get Baker Mayfield. So, with this being said, it's clearly it's going to be a quarterback battle and a real interesting one come training camp in Carolina because now you're torn between most likely it's going to be Baker May between Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold because I don't see Matt Corral being the starting quarterback yet in Carolina. Maybe in the next year or two, but not just now with obviously the trust they still have in Sam Darnold even though they did shop for not one but two quarterbacks and the faith that they do got in Baker Mayfield and the fact that they know that the Cleveland Browns is just a bunch of suckers because that's really what they are just a bunch of suckers there's nothing to say about this it's it's comical you know it's real comical if you look at it from Cleveland's standpoint because you're not even sure if you're even going to have Deshaun Watson this year. If you're even going to have him again, honestly. Depending on how bad the NFL wants to drop the hammer on him after 24 sexual assault allegations. And look, I'm not knocking Deshaun Watson at all. I'm just saying that his 
situation makes the quarterback, you know, the quarterback situation of Cleveland unsure, and it's definitely unsure now that they don't even have a, a quality backup quarterback. You know, it would have been more dangerous if, say, if, you know, Baker would have stayed in Cleveland and Deshaun was to get suspended. People wouldn't be looking at the Browns as they're looking at them right now. But, unfortunately, they're going to have to because this is just a moment of sucker. And Baker on paper does seem like an upgrade over Sam Darnold as we all know what he can, has the potential to be healthy. And if you get him a running game and you get him an O-line, we could possibly see what we saw in 2020. We possibly can. And there's as much it pains me to say that because I'm a Steelers fan, but still, I don't know what the Cleveland Browns was thinking here, but they clearly wasn't thinking straight. Andrew Barry, this was arguably the most disappointing move he has made since taking over as the GM. And he was and he was hitting it out the park. Obviously, Baker Mayfield being traded to the Cleveland Browns was a no-brainer. I mean, from the Cleveland Browns was a no-brainer because they weren't getting along. Baker felt it was clear disrespect, so did many others. Because he did win them their only playoff game. They don't. Some don't see the difference between Deshaun Watson nor and Baker Mayfield as the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. Even though you can definitely argue that Watson is an upgrade, if not, no debating, he is. Whatever point you want to stand on with that. But that's not even the point here. I'm not saying Watson's. Now I'm not saying that he is this season or whatever season or whenever Watson comes back would would definitely determine that if Watson is to have the same caliber team that Mayfield had coming into next coming into last season or the season before. I don't know with Cleveland. I I really don't know. I don't think I've okay. It was a move that needed to be made because it was a marriage that was only getting uglier by day. But you when you end a marriage, right? You want the best that you can get out of that. You want the best to come. That's what you want. And that's and that's just what it is. You want the best to come. And when you're the Cleveland Browns, it's just like you did not get that. If anything, you got the worst. You got, okay, let's just say you gave up possibly... A whole thing of pot roast or whatever. And got back a half-eaten bag of chips. With bad quality with an expired date on it. That's pretty much what you got back. You gave up a pot roast to get them. And you got back a bag of chips without them. You know, to trade them. That's what you got. You want the... When you end relationships. You want... You want the best to come out of it. And... That's just what it is. And the Cleveland Browns did not do that. They, listen, Carolina Panthers, if he stays healthy, you got yourself a quarterback. Cleveland, you better pray that Deshaun Watson does not get suspended this whole year. Or that Jacoby Brissett can pull some miracles out of his own, you know, out of his own belly or something. Otherwise, you're in trouble. In the division like the AFC North, you're in trouble. There's just no way Jose... You out of all teams is going to be so safe here. There's no way. 
Like, you're kidding me right now? And I don't know what, I don't know what they were thinking. But heads weren't thinking at all. And that's just, that's just all I got to say. Um, that's all I pretty much got on this segment with the Cleveland Browns, with Carolina Panthers. Obviously, the Browns and the Panthers play each other week one. So Baker was to be the starter versus his, own, versus his former teammate, Miles Garrett, and them guys. I'll be watching, I'll be looking at my popcorn watching that game. I'll be, listen, I'll just have my popcorn on the side and I'll be watching that and I'll see alone who wins the trade. And that way I would want Deshaun Watson to play that game just to see was, was this the right move for Cleveland one to give up what they gave up to get him, and then to get back what they, you know, just to give up Baker and to give and give and get back what they gotten. That's just all I got to say on this segment. If you want to, you can definitely tune into the Mike Bomb next week as I am. We'll, obviously, I will be launching another episode, but this has been your host, May Shayla, and I am signing out. Welcome to the Mike Bomb Podcast, the podcast where the bombs get thrown. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode. This is your host, May Shayla, exiting out. But before I do... I would like to take the time to thank everyone who has subscribed, follow, and listened to the podcast and for your overall support and love. If you are interested in getting more news and updates about the podcast, such as new episodes, new seasons, you can now subscribe and follow the podcast on your favorite platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Pandora Radio, Google Podcasts, and much more. Or you can visit www.themikebomb.com for news updates within your favorite sport leagues, along with more news about the podcast. Thank you for your support, and see you next episode. Something to say There's a fear out there When it's coming your way Don't let it stop you From living for what you were made It's not a dream It's a destiny Blessed is he When the whole world Listens to this mess in me There's a message inside What you get from me A little life Little love That's a recipe So when the world is crashing down And you feel the weight On your shoulders Try to pick it up But you're steady Stacking up boulders Every day's a gift Never miss it Getting older Blessing in the struggle Know that you're just On the road to a life You were born to live So I wake up every day and just give it what I'm born to give Everything in me And nothing less While this heart's still beating up inside my chest